a new series that's a little bit different for some of the stuff we do at South Point. This is called Questions for God. You know, with, with August being one of the times that we have, August is the month, August and September-ish, we have more first-time guests show up in, in this next six weeks or so than the rest of the year. Or not combined, but spread out through the... In any other months, we have an August is the most. And uh, we, we wanted to pick a topic that answered some questions. We, we've been praying about this, asking God to lead us over the summer the, to have a series that would address what people are going through. And when we landed on this series, I want to tell you that uh, most of the time you can give me a couple of two or three points or, or a topic, and I can just rock and roll on that. I'm fine with that. This one's a lot different than that. This series, we are going to look to address some of the, really some of our life's toughest questions. And today, we're going we're gonna to ease into it today because I'm, I'm going to answer three questions today. We're going to kind of lay a foundation, and we have to lay this foundation. As we, as we worked this and prayed about the, the, the organization of this series, we really understood that this week needs to be about these questions because it'll lay uh, a foundation spiritually and intellectually for the questions that we're going to answer over the next three weeks. And on Labor Day weekend, uh, Pastor Michael is going to bring it. He's going to bring his apologetics, wisdom, and knowledge and lay it on us all. Uh, so just don't skip any, any, any week in this series. It's going to be uh, really good. I believe that you'll learn something every week. Also, each week in this series, in your bulletin, you'll have that extra sheet that's in there. It, it's a, a sheet of resources, okay? Listen, when we're talking about answering the biggest questions in life, you can't do it in a 30-minute message. You know what? It, it's not possible. But what we hope to do is give you some pieces, give you some starts for that, and help you along the way. That re Those resources in there each week on that resource sheet, one side will be for the message today, and then one side is, will be the same every week, and that is for the entire series. That'll be more uh, like entire websites versus on the weekly series, there'll just be some links so you can go to. And we'll post those this afternoon on our website so the links will be hot. You don't have to type in all the different letters and all that kind of good stuff. Are y'all hearing some crackling, or is it just me? You are? We're going to be able to work with that? S something back there? Great. Testing, mic check, one, two, three. They like, get the headset mic back. You have to take that away from me. Does that sound good? I'll probably pull it right up to my chin. Just keep pulling it down, pulling it down, pulling it down. There we go. We're going to have some fun with it anyways. This is the only way I can ever do it. I, when I used to preach with a handheld mic, if I don't do this, then I'll... And I go like that, and the sound man would be back there doing calisthenics, trying to get my attention. Oh, put it up to your mouth. I'm like, okay, that's a good thought. So I just leave it on my chin. And uh, the person using it after me will be appreciative that I had a mint in before this, okay? This is how I act when uh, the message isn't quite in my wheelhouse. Um, now, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of joking, but I, I would love for you today to get your notes, get ready for uh, what I believe are some of the most important today. These three, some of the most important, I wouldn't even say some of, I would say the most important three questions that you can answer in your life. Every individual, whether you're in Oklahoma City, whether you're in Great Britain, whether you're somewhere around the world, these questions are the ones that are going to inspire and change our lives for the rest of our lives, direct us. So let's just jump in. We're going we're gonna to ask some tough questions today. And like, let me just say one more time, I don't know that we're going to answer them completely. We're going to take piece, pieces of them and put them together and help 
create some uh, answers in your life that you will take and continue researching probably for the rest of your life. I mean, big questions like, are there aliens? Y'all ready? You want that one? We're not talking about that one this, um, this, this series. We're not talking about whether OU or OSU will win. Thank the Lord, right? I don't, I don't think God cares whether it's East Coast rap or West Coast rap. You have to work that out on your own, okay, with fear and trembling. In, in this series, we're going to talk about things that will lay a foundation for all of your other beliefs. So let's get started. How about that? Number one question, number one, think about this. This is the most important question that you will ever answer in your life. How do I know that God exists? Let me, let me just help you out real quick. Number one on that is that you can't. Yeah, I hear how quiet that. You cannot prove that God exists. You can't. Scientifically, you can't use the scientific method to create a hypothesis, a, a method of testing and test to prove that God is real. With your five senses, you can't walk up and shake God's hand and lay your eyes on him and touch him and hear him verbally speak to you, those kind of things. Yes, do they have they happened in the past and could they possibly happen to individuals in the future? Sure. I think God can do. I still believe God's alive. Could I get an amen on that? And he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and I'll just flat get out of his way. He can do that. But as being able to lay eyes on it like I can this stage or that TV or something like that and prove that it's there, you can't do that. But here's what you can do. As an intelligent human being, you can put together and you can look at the evidence that is out there and believe that I believe that you can create a compelling group of evidence that, that shows that not only is God does God exist, but he is real that he is still alive, that he is still working, that God does exist. So, like this, if, if me, and a, me, and, me and my friend Randy, we went hiking, okay? Me and my friend Randy, we went hiking, and uh, we're walking down this trail, and we walk up on a, a little pile. You know what I'm talking about? A little pile of poo in the middle of the trail. And I said, hey, Randy, do you know what that is? And he said, well, yeah, it's poo. And I said, well, it's actually from a beaver. That's beaver poo. And he goes, oh, I don't think so. I think it's actually, uh, I think that's from a deer. And I'm like, okay, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like 90% sure that that's beaver, but we'll, we'll go on. And we go down the trail a little bit, and there's a tree, and about a foot off the ground, it's gnawed, chewed up all the way around. I said, hey, Brandy, check this out. Look, that's where a beaver has been chewing around that tree. And he goes, no, not really. He said, because deer, when they're in rut, they will do that. And I look at Randy and go, one foot deer? I mean, come on. You know? And he says, no, they, they chew on trees like that. And I kind of just blow it off. We go on. We're walking. We walk around this little bend, and we come up to a creek, and I see uh, a beaver dam. And I say, hey, Randy, check this out. Look where the beaver, see all the teeth marks at the end of the, at the, end of the branches? And he's, this beaver's cut down branches, and he's piled them up, and he's made a beaver dam. And we look, and I said, oh, yeah, and in the pond over here, you can see the lodge. That's the pile of logs and dirt and all that that the beavers made. That's, he's probably in there right now. Randy goes, no, Scott, don't you remember we got a bunch of rain a couple of weeks ago, and that's washed all these limbs down. That's all this is. It's some rain where they washed these limbs down, and that's just a log pile that just piled up. And we leave the woods, and you never, we never got to lay our eyes on the beaver. But can I tell you, walking out of the woods, I was 99.9% .9 sure that there was a beaver living in the woods. Do you understand that? And I think by, by the end of this message, especially by, by the end of this little section, that we can, we can be able to take some evidence and not only understand that God is the most reasonable answer to why everything exists, but he is the most probable reason that everything exists. Amen?
All right, so number one under that is that God, here, here do I, how do I know that he exists? Because he's the best explanation for why everything exists. He's the best explanation for why everything exists. Listen, I got saved uh, as, a, as a senior in college, my last year of college, and I took a couple of classes over again that I did not do well in my previous years. And one of them was biology, very basic freshman class biology. And I go in and talk to the, I can start talking to the professor and uh, introduce myself, have class. And I was the guy, okay, I apologize ahead of time. If you've ever been to the class and there was the person that asked questions all the time, that was me. Now, you know, if you, if you go take a college class, you just want to take the class, right? You just want to get through the stuff, check it off, and move on. And it didn't happen in my class because I was a new believer. And we, when we started through chapter one, we, we started with the Big Bang. And, and I'm not trying to argue with you. I'm just trying to ask questions. So the Big Bang states that out of nothing came everything, right? Okay, so... Where did all that nothing come from? Because I, I just like to know. I'm, I'm just a curious student. I wanted to know. And he said, well, nobody was there. I said, okay, but then doesn't God sound like a better explanation? Like there was a very intelligent, superior being that had, had everything somewhere. And he said, let's move it to here and start all this. Well, we're not, we're not studying the Bible right now. We're studying science and biology and you can't use the Bible for anything. I don't want to talk anything Bible. And I said, okay, great. And so I went home. That night I read the next chapter. And in the next chapter was the laws of thermodynamics. That the law of biology, that life can only come from life. The other laws in the universe, all of the different ones. And I said, okay, but professor, I have a question. And you can just hear the class go, oh, it's that guy. But I was, I'm, not, I'm not really trying to argue. But... I'm taking this. I have a new understanding of life. It's like I have a second chance. I, I really want to know if, if the laws of science say you can't have life from nothing, that life only comes from life, then how did it get here? Well, see, you had really it wasn't nothing. You had the, maybe these gases and these materials. Okay, great. Stop right there. Where did those come from? Is it just me? And as I begin to read those things and study what the science book was saying, and then I'm studying what God is saying, and I'm talking to my pastor, and I'm talking to my professor. And one of them had educated, wise, responsible answers, and the other one said, this is what it is. You have to believe it. You know which was which? My pastor was going, listen, we don't have all the answers. But if you look at what God said from the beginning, if you look at what had to happen it, it shows me that God is the best explanation for why everything exists. He's the best answer. Well, well couldn't things just end? Sure. Let's think of some laws that they would have to have to do that or some rules that they would have to have to do that. I believe that God is the best explanation for that. Have you ever heard the, the story of the, the scientists that got together? There was a group of scientists, and they were determined they were going to create life. Not from life, but just out of dirt like God did. And they, they got to where they could create life. They sent a petition to God. They walked up to God. They said, God, we got it figured out. We created life just like you did. He's great. Let's see it. So they grabbed a handful of dirt, and he goes, no, 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 hold on. Get your own dirt. Yeah, 
Like It's easy when you take the elements that are just floating out there and they're created. Who created those? I believe I know who created those. I, I don't have all the answers. There's no proof either direction. But I believe when I look at the evidence and I look at a creator and a designer, I believe that the best evidence shows that God, a perfect creator and designer, knew what he was doing ahead of time and worked everything for that creation. He created everything that exists. It started, it started, do you understand? This is just a foundation we're laying today. We're starting to build up. The second point underneath that is this, is the fine-tuning. Once we have that universe, look at it then, the fine-tuning of the universe. That's another reason I believe that God exists. Because in that, there are all kinds of laws, scientific laws. There are uh, physics laws. There are things that if they don't happen just right, then you and I don't make it, right? So let's just take, for example, let's take gravity. How many have ever seen an astronaut in space? Looks like fun, doesn't it? If you adjust gravity just a little bit, we cannot exist the way we live, and that we cannot live the way we live. Let me, let me, let's, let's, let's adjust it down just a little bit. Let's take gravity away for a little bit. Y you can, as we have seen our astronauts go into space, and they will spend weeks and sometimes months in space. But have you ever seen one of those astronauts who spend 30 or 40 uh, days, or maybe I think the record was broken a couple of years ago with one spent almost a year in space? Have you ever seen them when they come down from the space station and when they take them out of the spaceship, the rockets? They carry them. They put them in a wheelchair and walk them off because... In space, without gravity, your entire body that was designed to live right here in the perfect gravity, it begins to adjust. Your muscles begin to atrophy. Your joints and ligaments begin to atrophy. Your bone density begins to shrink. There are just tons and tons of things from the molecular level to the gigantic solar system level that if it's the gravity is not fine-tuned, that changes all of life. Where it gets real fun if you bump gravity up a little bit. Some of us do that in midlife. We bump it up right around the middle. We bump it up 20 pounds, 30 pounds, 40 pounds, and you can feel that. You can go to the doctor and you go, why did my knees hurt? You said, you bumping gravity, that's why. You, you ever had a doctor tell you that? You, you lower the gravity above your knees and for some reason they feel better. <laughs> it happened with me. I don't know why. But when you look at the fine-tuning of the universe, you, you see that if you bump gravity up a little bit, you begin to destroy Everything from the cells on the subatomic particles in our lives, the things that fight our immune system, to the electromagnetic field as it comes through the, from the sun to us and feeds us vitamin D and stabilizes our planet. All of those things change. You start tweaking with gravity. And that's one of hundreds of things that are so finely tuned that if you get them out of whack just a little bit, and not just one, can I tell you if, you, if you, if you adjust gravity, it will adjust many of the other ones. And you start compounding those, and you take away the perfect combination, the perfect fine-tuning of the universe, you take away life. We get to see that on all the other planets. Are we going to find life on another planet? I have no idea. But I do know the odds of that are very rare. Do you know why? Because Earth has been fine-tuned by a creator to support life comfortably. Y'all know before there was Crest and before there was Walmart, there was the woods. There was the lake. And for the last, oh, I don't know, four or 5,000 years, people just went out in the woods and got their food. 
They just planted it in the ground, and guess what? The ground fed a seed, and the seed grew their fruit and their vegetables, and they just ate it. This planet is fine-tuned for you and I to not just sustain life, but to enjoy it. Listen, I can't give all the reasons in the world. I would love to. In fact, this question is a ridiculous question. How do I know God exists? Let's take the rest of the year and explore that. Can't do it in 10 minutes. But what I hope to do this morning is just show you a couple of pieces that when you look at and you, and you look around at everything that exists, our universe, our solar system, the trillions of stars, it, the amazing stuff we talked about this time last year when we, when, in the series, Everything is Spiritual, about how the galaxies and the universe works together in the expanse that we can't even fathom. I believe that God is the best explanation a creator, heavenly father, like it says in the word, is the best explanation for why all of that exists. And on top of that, he fine-tuned it perfectly for us. Now, let, let's continue building on top of that. Question number two, can I trust the Bible? Woo. That's a good question, isn't it? Have you ever read something and thought, can I trust this? We all trust stuff every day, right, to different levels. Did you walk in this morning and, and start to sit in that chair and go, I don't know, check that third leg. I don't, I'm not for sure if that thing can hold us. looks kind of wobbly. We, we trusted that chair. You put 100% of your weight in that chair. When you, you didn't stop every 10 feet driving down the road and check and see if there was a sinkhole under, do a core sample down into the ground or anything like that. You just trusted that those things are taken care of. And it's the same way. With the Bible, there's some things that accumulate over our lives about the Bible. Some stories, some stats, some information that help us grow in our trust of the Bible. Now, I'm going to give you one reason today why I trust the Bible, and I'm going to break it down to about 412 reasons, okay? Does that, that work? One is this, under, under can I trust the Bible, that the Bible is accurate. This is, this is one of my favorite things of the day because this is one of those things that you can hang your hat on. This is one of those things you can compare across the board to everything else in the world. And you can go, can I trust the Bible? Well, one thing that helps me to trust it is how accurate the Bible is. Now, the back Bible is not a history book, right? But you can also look through the Bible and you can correlate dates, timelines, stories, and people to world history and to help it to... To show how accurate the Bible is for the last four or five thousand years. It'll talk about the same Egypt that we know, the same pyramids that we know. When when Daniel is captured by the king or the kingdom of Babylon, when you when you read about King Nebuchadnezzar, well, guess what? I can go to the history books right now and read the history of the Babylonians, and I can go back and read about King Nebuchadnezzar, totally not connected to the Bible. Uh, those things line up. So it, it is a incredibly accurate book. But let's break it down farther than that. Let me give you this morning, this is, these are six uh, testimonies, all from Frank Turek. It's one of the websites in your, in your resource notes. But let me, let me run through these as fast as I can. Six testimonies to help us understand how incredible the Bible really is, okay? So the first one, I'm going to expound on a little bit. The first one is early testimony. It's early testimony. Early, early, early. And here's what I mean by that. So, any reliable document in history, you have to have other documents to correlate that. There's got to be copies of it. There's got to be eyewitnesses, different things like that that help correlate it. So one of the Plato's most famous books, Tetralogies, there are seven copies of Tetralogies, seven. The latest one that we have, the oldest one that we have, is written 1,400 years after Plato. 
Yet if they take 1,400 years afterwards and the seven copies, scholars agree that that's plenty to say that Plato wrote that and what they are writing that he wrote is accurate. Does that make sense? So that helps us to understand kind of how we do historical documents. We have to have some corroborating evidence on that. Now let me just throw this out. As we're talking about early testimony, let me, let me just build this up a little bit. For the Bible, we have over 24,000 manuscripts and documents that are still in existence that we have today to corroborate the Bible. The entire New Testament was written within 70 years of Jesus' birth, not 1,400, 70 years. And many of the books of the New Testament were written within 20 years of Jesus' crucifixion. Listen, there is no other historical document. There's not documents about the forming of the United States. There's not doc any other historical document of the amount that the Bible is that has the supporting information that the Bible has. There's not one in the history of the world. 24,000 documents that corroborate it. So the, and, and then the ones within 20 years of Jesus' crucifixion, that's the early testimony. Let me give you the second one. The second one is the eyewitness testimony. People that actually walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, did ministry with Jesus, lived with Jesus, these are the ones that you see that wrote about Jesus, right? Everybody say Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Yeah, these are people. Actually, Luke did not hang out with Jesus. He was alive. He was a contemporary at the same time. But he interviewed and hung out with Matthew and Mark and John. He knew those people and interviewed them. But the Bible is incredible because if you look at just John and Acts, there's 140 stories with details of eyewitnesses in them. There are very few books on the planet that are this old that have any eyewitnesses recording them, much less that many. So eyewitness, the third one is embarrassing testimony. It's probably one of my favorite because if you read through the Bible, you get to see things like where Jesus said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. That listen, if I was one of the disciples writing that, I may leave that part out about me. It's embarrassing testimony. If I was writing the Bible, I would probably leave out the part that all the disciples were hiding for fear for their life while the ladies went down and found out that the tomb was empty. You understand? Maybe leave out the part where I denied Jesus three times right after in the garden that I said I would kill for him. There's all kinds of situations like that that according to the customs of the times, most people would have left out, but they wanted it to be the real thing. This is really what happened. The testimony that they gave was true and embarrassing. The fourth one, probably the most touching, is the excruciating testimony. Peter that I just mentioned, Peter was one of the 11 that were crucified, that, not crucified, that were martyred for their faith, that were killed for their faith. In the garden with Jesus, Peter said, I will die for you. I will kill or die for you. Yet when they captured Jesus and beat him senseless, Peter denied Christ three times, didn't he? But can I tell you that while the disciples denied Christ, while he was being crucified, after his resurrection, 10 of the 11 were martyred because of their faith in Christ. Listen, if you're, you're going to deny him while he's alive, you're sure going to deny him when it comes to killing your family. The testimony that they gave, and especially even Peter when he was about to be crucified, he said, can you crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as my Savior. 
It's an excruciating testimony that we read throughout the Gospels of the disciples and their true faith even after Christ was gone. Number five is the expected testimony. I'm going to go quick because this is old hat for a lot of us. There are thousands of prophecies through the Old Testament. Thousands of a prophecy is when somebody in the Old Testament, God spoke to them and they said, this is going to happen in the future. And they would give distinct times, places. There are over 300 about Jesus, which he fulfilled. In, 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 in uh, Isaiah 7, when they called Jesus Emmanuel, let me just tell you, when the Savior was born, you know what they repeated? They expected that Savior, and they called him Emmanuel, which means God with us. They understood when Jesus was born, this isn't just another kid. This is God with us. There's expected testimony, hundreds of them. And number six, number six was the extra biblical testimony. These are the mainstream, ancient, non-Christian sources that cor correlate the dates and stories of the Bible. This is what I was talking about earlier, but kind of in reverse. You can look in the Bible and you can follow along some of the world history. But how about the hundreds of stories, famous ancient stories, mainstream, non-religious stories, that also corroborate that Jesus was here, where he lived, what he talked about. In fact, if you've ever read any of... Uh, the memoirs or the annals of, of Tacticus, in the book of Tacticus, he talks about the, the disturbance that Jesus made about his last six months in Jerusalem. He said, a man come that they call the king of the Jews. He came from Judea. They talk about him not committing any crimes, yet the Jews hated him so bad they crucified him along with several of his followers who were crucified in later days just because they believed in him. It was not in a religious book. It was in the book of Tacticus. And there are hundreds of books like that that you can read stuff about the followers of Christ, about Jesus, that corroborate that. So number one, the early testimony, eyewitnesses that were there. The eyewitness testimony, the embarrassing testimony, excruciating testimony, the people that gave their lives for it. The expected testimony were the Bible prophecies, and the extra biblical were the ones from non-religious sources. This kind of evidence helps me to understand. This is just evidence we're putting together helps me to believe that the Bible is not only accurate, but I can trust it. It's just up to me to learn it and understand it. Amen? So real quick, I'm going to wrap up with one last point. Think about the two things we've talked about today. Big, big, big questions. Little pieces of those big questions. How do I know God exists? Because I believe when looking at things with an open mind that none of this just accidentally happened. It takes more faith for me to believe that than it does to believe in a God. I really believe that God is the best explanation for why everything exists. And on top of that, look at the fine-tuning and the things that we still don't have a clue about. That God knew exactly how to do them. The combination of those things. So I believe God exists and I believe he's the best explanation for all of those things. On top of that, when he speaks, his word, can I trust that? I think I've shown that just according to historical documents, just according to the way we do things in the world, you can trust it. And then, let me just say, when you start living God's word, there's a testimony, a seventh testimony that happens inside of you. When you start seeing the principles of faith happen in your life, and you start seeing, when I live these things out, how God brings about what he says he's going to do, through his word, there's another testimony.
Well, the last question is this, and this is a giant question, but I think it's an easy question. The last question is, how do, or what is the purpose of life? Small question, right? Anybody ever wondered that question? Just me? What is the purpose of life? Have you ever thought about that when something negative has happened in life? Something crazy has happened? Something unexpected, or you're going down a different direction of life, maybe by force, maybe by accident. You wonder, what is the purpose of life? Can I just tell you that everybody asks that? Men and women throughout history have asked that question. Believers, non-believers have asked that question. Well, let me give you two examples. One is out of the Old Testament in the book of Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon toward the end of his life, later part of his life. Solomon was King David's son. One day while he was praying, God came to him, verbally spoke to him, and he asked, Solomon, what do you want? If I was to give you anything, what would you ask for? Can you imagine that question? Do you all have that list in the back of your mind? Of, this is what I would like, Lord. You know what Solomon said? Solomon said, God, what I would really like is great wisdom and incredible understanding. I want to understand life. And God said, Solomon, because you ask such a noble thing and you don't ask for riches or fame or wealth, those kind of things, I'm going to grant that. I'm going to give you wisdom and you will be the wisest man who has ever lived or will ever live. And then a few decades later, you read the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon's venting chapter, Solomon's man diary. And he starts Ecclesiastes off like this, Ecclesiastes 1 Verse 1, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That's where, that's where the wisest man in the world's at. Do you feel better now? The wisest man in the world says it's meaningless. Listen, I chased after girls, meaningless. I chased after wealth, meaningless. I chased after fame, meaningless. Like everything I've chased after, it's meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. And he goes through 11 and a half chapters just like that. I'm not watching any more TV. I'm not watching any more. You know, he's just going through it. He's just griping. I'm not going to eat fat foods. I'm going to run every day. You know, he's just venting stuff he doesn't mean, but stuff that's really good for us. And then listen, in the last half, of chapter 12, this is what he says, verse 13 and 14. Here is the conclusion of the matter. After I've vented, after I've held nothing back from my body, here's the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. There's purpose of life, Old Testament. Then Jesus comes along in the New Testament, the new covenant, the new relationship. Jesus comes along, and we get to hear his teaching. We get to see his miracles, the way he treats people, the, reason, the way he treats his enemies, the way he talks to us and guides us and forgives us and teaches us, all of these different things. But there was one day when there were two groups of religious leaders that didn't like Jesus, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These are the guys that have spent their entire life learning these Old Testament laws. 600 of them plus. They know exactly how they're applied, when to apply them, how to do what they do. But this day, in the very last chapter of the book of Matthew, no, not the very last, Matthew 22, let's get that right. He says, the book says that they begin to test Jesus, these two religious leaders, religious uh, groups. And it says this in Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. 
Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he was the head of his class. He was probably the, one of the older ones, one of the wiser ones. He'd, he'd been around the block a few times with arguing and debating with people that didn't believe. So they got him, the expert in the law. And they tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But he goes on, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourselves. And here's the clinch. Here's the linchpin of all of it. Knowing who he's talking to, these two religious groups, these guys that if they say the word, they can have Jesus killed just in a second because of heresy. Jesus said all of the law, everything you've studied, everything the prophets have said, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You, you want to know what purpose in life is? Where it starts, the pinnacle, is to love God and to love people. There's your purpose. Well, what about my job? Great. Find out how to love God in your job. How do you love God? How do you love God with your coworkers that need to, you just open a window and just boot them one day? You know, you learn to love them, Right? That's a good spot for an amen. You missed it. You, you learn to love God through your work. You learn to love God through what you get paid through your work. You learn to love God through your boss, through your receptionist, through the people, your clients. And you learn to love people. Listen, sometimes we, we look at this and go, 66 books. That is gigantic. How, how, do, we, how do we live that out? Can I just tell you, like, I believe God exists. I believe I can trust his Bible. I haven't just taken it because the guy that was pastor in the church that I got saved in demanded that I believed it. I've tested it in my soul, in my heart, my mind, but I've also weighed it intellectually. I've also debated it with professors and philosophers. And I believe that, that God is by far, not even close, the best explanation for why everything exists. I believe that when God speaks, that every bit of it is useful, it's trustworthy, it's accurate. I can base my life and my philosophy of life on it. And with those two together, I can clearly see my purpose in whatever I'm doing. Whether I'm single, married, divorced, remarried, whether I'm rich, poor, Whatever, healthy, non-healthy, whatever the situation. You know what my purpose is? To love God with all that's within me. And to love people around me just like Jesus loved them. That's my purpose in life. Amen? The next three weeks, we're going to take specific questions. Those questions like, why is pain and suffering in the world? Why, or do, do all religions lead to heaven? Some, some tough questions. But can I tell you, today's message, these three, they'll dictate how you answer all the questions in life. How you answer questions from your future spouses, neighbors, and the toughest of all, your own mind. These questions today. Will you close your eyes just for a moment and think about the things that you've heard today? 
and think about what, what your response would be to what you've heard today. What, what's my response going to be? Is it that my faith would be encouraged? Maybe I need to take a step in, in how I respond. Take a step in my faith this week. And maybe, just maybe you're at the place that you're checking out church or you've wandered from God or whatever your situation, that today is the day that you realize that you haven't been believing in God. You haven't been trusting in His Word. And today's the day that it's time to put your faith in Christ. And as we just wrap up this service, we're going to sing one more song. I want to give you an opportunity. After hearing what you've heard today, is it time to surrender your life and to say, Lord, I trust. Jesus, I trust you with my life, with my future, with my purpose. If that's you, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come down front or embarrass you in any way, but I am going to ask you to take one step today just between me, you, and Jesus. If that's you, and you're deciding today, I'm going to open up my heart. I'm going to let Jesus come in and be my Savior. If that's you, with nobody else looking around, would you just for a second lift your hand and look up and just give me a little wave and lets me know I'm making that decision today. Awesome. You can put your hand right back down. Anybody else? I just want to wait a second. I want to give you a second, and then we're just we're going to pray give you an opportunity to voice that together with us. Anyone else? Super proud of you. Let's pray that together. As I pray, will you tell him, Jesus, that's me. I'm doing that today. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us. Thank you that you have put together your word, that you have shown us your creation, that you have stacked the evidence on your side. Lord, today we tell you that we believe. We believe in you. We believe in your word. And we believe in your son. And we ask that today you would be honored by our faith as we take a step toward you. For those in this room that are making a decision to allow you into their life, I pray that you would change them from the inside out, Lord, that you'd show them how much you love them, that you'd forgive them, set their feet on the right path today. And from this day forward, walk with them. Teach them your way. May your spirit guide them and help them to understand their purpose in this world. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us? Let's sing one more song.